read a fascinating story on Monday morning about the owner of a jewelry store who was having real trouble moving some of the merchandise. Specifically, she had an overabundance of turquoise and silver Native American jewelry. Now, the store owner had tried just about every sales trick in the book to make the jewelry more appealing, but, but nothing seemed to work. It wasn't selling. On her way out of town for a business trip, she, she scribbled an exasperated note to the store manager, directing her to cut the price in half. She took a note and scribbled, Everything in this display case, price by one half. All of the jewelry sold while she was gone on her business trip, and the astonishing part was that the manager had misread the scribbled note. She had read the one-half as a two, and instead of slashing the original price of the jewelry in half, she had doubled it. She doubled the price, and yet sold all the jewelry. <laughs> now, most people just assume that high cost equals high value. I mean, if, it, if it's that expensive, it's got to be good stuff, right? Well, folks, we live in a world where all the price tags have been, have been flipped. The, the devil has increased the price on things that are not valuable, and we have allowed ourselves to be deceived by him. As the deceiver, his target is your mind, his weapon is lies, his purpose is to make you ignorant of the will of God. As the destroyer, his target is your body. His weapon is suffering. His purpose is to make you impatient with the will of God. Last week, we talked about the ruler. His target is your will. His weapon is pride. His purpose to make you independent of the will of God. He just wants you to live apart from the will of God. That would make the devil very happy. And today we are talking about Satan's strategy as the accuser. He is called the accuser in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. So the devil, Satan, the deceiver, the destroyer, the ruler, is also called the accuser. And even though he's been thrown down, even though his power and the scope of his ability is limited now, he works very hard to accuse the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's just, that's what he does. That's part of his strategy. That's part of his scheme. That's part of his tactic. He works hard to defeat us and discourage us and take us down with him. Please turn this morning to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah is the second last book of the Old Testament. Malachi comes after Zechariah, and that's the end of the, of the Old Testament. And then you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The New Testament begins. So if you know where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, just go a little bit to the left. That's the book of Malachi. And the second last book is the book of Zechariah. Turn to chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3 is part of a lengthy vision sequence that runs from chapter 1 to chapter 6 in this Old Testament book. And here in chapter 3, Zechariah sees a vision of Joshua the high priest. Verse 1. 
Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Referring, of course, to Joshua. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, Joshua, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I'll give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. So this scene in Zechariah chapter 3, this scene is part of a vision that God has given to Zechariah, and it takes place in heaven. The setting is that of a courtroom. God is the judge. Joshua the high priest is the defendant. And Satan, the accuser, is the prosecutor who's trying to prove Joshua guilty. Now, Satan appears to have a pretty strong case against Joshua. Joshua is wearing these filthy garments in the vision. And, and the high priest was always to wear clean clothes. Joshua's defilement posed a real problem. It posed a, a severe problem for the people since, since the high priest was the, the intermediary through whom their own sin was to be removed on the Day of Atonement. But if the high priest has been defiled, then who's going to stand between them and God? But here's the thing. The, the interesting part in the text is that God the Father rules Satan's charges against Joshua inadmissible before Satan could even present them. <laughs> you look at verse 2. Even before Satan is able to, to bring a charge against Joshua, the Lord says to Satan in verse 2, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? So Satan wants to bring accusation. But the father is determined that Joshua will live without condemnation. And so from this passage, we learn that Satan's target is your heart and your conscience. Satan's target is your heart and conscience. You can, you can imagine what, what Satan's argument sounded like, if you think about it for just a minute. He's like, Joshua, just, just, just look at you. Just look at you. You're supposed to be the high priest, robed in righteousness and truth. Instead, instead you stand here before us in, in filthy garments. How could you? 
Now, how do you think Joshua felt? I mean, certainly his heart was broken and his conscience smitten because he certainly knew that he was defiled, uh, standing there with these soiled robes. But you see, when, when you and I disobey God, when, when we blow it, when we sin against the Lord, Satan just moves in for the finishing blow. He, waits, he, wait, he might wait a moment, he might wait a day, but he, he often comes in with that finishing blow. He, he attacks us in our hearts and in our conscience when we know, we know we've already displeased the Lord. So you're a Christian, he sneers. You, you're not a very good Christian. You go to church and you read your Bible, you even, you even pretend to serve the Lord, but look what you've done. Do you hear yourself speaking to that bank teller? Their, your tone of voice? Your, your, your attitude? I mean, you're, if your friends at church only knew what kind of person you really were. So yes, Satan's target is your heart and your conscience, and he goes at it with a vengeance. Satan's weapon is accusation. Zechariah 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to do what? To accuse him. Now, when Satan talks to you about God, he lies. He often lies. Oh, come on. God didn't say that, did he? Did he really say you, you can't eat fruit from the tree in the garden? He lies. But when he, he talks to God about you, he often tells the truth. <laughs> yes, he does. He remembers and he reminds God of the mistakes and the failures that you've made along the way. He tells God the truth about all those mistakes and all those failures and those sins. He reminds God of how bad a person you really are. Furthermore, Satan never lets us forget the times that we've blown it. He just keeps coming back to it. And you know, I can imagine the conversations over the over the decades, over the centuries, Satan says to Abraham, Oh, Abraham, see what you just did? You lied to the king about your wife. Why did you tell the king she was your sister? She's not your sister, she's your wife. You lied to him, Abraham. You're a liar and you're a coward. Accusations, you see. He's, he's flinging accusations against God's people. Satan to David. What was that conversation like? Oh, pfft, David, you're supposed to be a man after God's own heart. But look at you. You, you. you lust after women. You commit adultery. You even murdered a man. You're worthless, David. God can't use people like you. You're hardly a man after God's own heart. Accusations. Again. And what about Peter. Hey, Peter, I just heard you deny Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. I thought you said you'd die for him. You're such a loser, Peter. Look at you. You've denied the Lord. Now what? See, those are powerful, powerful accusations. And we know that because many of us have, have, have experienced the same accusations. I'm, I, I've heard versions of those things many times in my own life. And then Mark tells us that that, that Jesus went to the synagogue one day, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Huh. So, 
you know, it's like if Satan does not make the accusation himself, he just gets somebody else to do his dirty work for him. He inspires other people to bring accusations against the anointed ones of God. Verbal indictments inspired by the accuser of the brethren. That can be so frustrating. But let me just say here, at this point, that that we must learn to distinguish between Satan's accusations and the Spirit's conviction. Very important distinction. But, but sometimes they sound and, and look similar. But they're very different. A feeling of guilt and humiliation is a good thing if it comes from the Spirit of God. If it comes from the Spirit of God, it can be a very good thing. If the Spirit of God is bringing conviction, I mean, then we need to just get on our knees and get right with Jesus. Satan's accusations, on the other hand, only ever lead to more confusion and regret and remorse and defeats. But the Spirit's conviction leads to repentance and forgiveness and healing and hope for tomorrow. And that's the difference. So be open to the Spirit's conviction, but don't listen to Satan's accusation. And let's pray for much grace to be able to discern which is which in the moment. Now, let's talk about Satan's purpose in accusing you. Accusing you. Satan's purpose in accusing you is to bring an indictment against God's will. Satan wants you to feel guilty. He wants you to experience deep regret and remorse, but not repentance. He wants to keep accusing you so that your focus uh, is on yourself and your sins and not on God. And as, as long as you're feeling condemned by the enemy, then you're under indictment and you are moving farther and farther away from the Lord and farther and farther away from doing the will of God. One woman had been asked by her pastor to teach a Sunday school class. And she really wanted to. She loved kids and she wanted to be of service to the Lord and to her church. And, she, and she'd been asked to teach before, but, but she always made up some excuse not to. You see, when she was a teenager, she got into some pretty terrible sin. I mean, she got really off track and off base, and, and uh, it was pretty awful. But now, now she was saved and, and married and had a family, but her, cat, her past kept bothering her. Something that she did 30 years ago just would not leave her alone. She felt unworthy to teach the class because of her past. She believed God could not possibly use her because of what she'd done so many years ago as a teenager. The accusations of the enemy have that kind of power. You see, Satan wants to shame us. Jesus wants to favor us. Satan wants to bring an indictment against God's will, but Jesus wants to bring an excitement about God's will. Satan wants us to live under the dark clouds of the past. Jesus wants us to walk in the light of the hope we have in the gospel. Therefore, it only makes sense that your defense, my defense, against all of these accusations is the interceding Son of God. Your defense is the interceding Son of God. 
It's true that Satan stands at our right hand many times, many, many times to resist us and accuse us. He stands right there beside us. But it's also true that Jesus Christ stands at God's right hand to intercede for us. Remember Zechariah 3? Satan stood right there beside Joshua to accuse him, standing at his right hand to accuse him. But then, just a, just a few verses later, the angel of the Lord solemnly assures Joshua, and he says to Joshua in, in this vision, Zechariah 3, verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, behold, I will bring my servant the branch. He's saying, Joshua, like, you don't have to listen to the lies and the accusations of Satan. I got this. You just walk with me. You, you walk with me and obey me, and, and you don't have to worry. I will give you the right of access. You'll have entrance into the very courts of the king of kings. And besides, verse 8, the coming of my servant, the branch, Jesus Christ, the Holy One, will result in the complete and total healing of iniquity. I've got this. Jesus is coming. Jesus is the Savior. He's the branch of Jesse. Jesus is the coming one. He is the, the great I am. He is the cornerstone. He's the desire of ages. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the Emmanuel. Jesus is our refuge. And, and he's coming. You see, the, the vision of Zechariah looks forward to the coming of Jesus, and the coming of Jesus changes everything, my friends. And you see, now, now, now we have an advocate to plead our case. That's the difference that the coming of Jesus made. First John 2, 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's the heart of God for us. He wants to walk wants us to walk without sin, to live without sin. But if anyone does sin, and, and we will, and we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So if we yield to temptation and sin, and we will, then we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father until we are restored to fellowship once again. We have a lawyer in heaven. We have one who will argue our case. And First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So not only do we have an advocate to, to, to argue our case for us, but if we, if we do blow it, if we sin against the Lord, we just confess our sins and he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. We don't have to live under the tyranny of the devil's accusations. We don't have to live under the tyranny of the devil's accusations anymore. Jesus has paid the penalty. He's paid the price. He's gone before us. He's defeated the enemy. Now we just have to walk in him. Walk in his ways. Keep his charge. And he will give us the right of access. You know, this week I read about Adama Sanko. She's the last known Ebola patient in the nation of Sierra Leone who was finally released from medical care. She's the last one. So she represents great hope for the nation, this terrible, terrible plague of um, Ebola has finally wiped 
off the, the national scene. And as the relieved mother emerged from the clinic where she had been receiving treatment, she was reportedly <laughs> greeted by a crowd of people that were singing and dancing and clapping their hands. I mean, they were celebrating the fact that she was finally released from medical care. Now, Satan will accuse you over and over and over again. Do not listen to him. Do not give him a foothold in your life. When you turn to Jesus by faith, and when your heart and your conscience have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, then you can start singing and dancing and clapping your hands. Because your defense against the accuser is the interceding Son of God, and nothing can stop him. Jesus Christ died. He was raised to life, and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us, even this minute, even right now, as we sit here. During this service, Jesus is interceding for us. Hallelujah and amen. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah, amen, amen. So, by way of review, this, this short four-week series that we've done on Satan's toolbox, we've talked about some of the schemes and the strategies of the enemy. As the deceiver, his target is your mind, his weapon is lies. His purpose is to make you ignorant of the will of God. As the destroyer, his target is your body. His weapon is suffering. And his purpose is to make you impatient with the will of God. As the ruler, his target is your will. His weapon, pride. His purpose, to make you independent of the will of God. That you just walk in, in the... In the light of your own path. That's what he, he would rather have you do. And as the accuser, his target is your heart and your conscience. His weapon is accusation. His purpose is to bring an indictment against the will of God. And our defense, <laughs> our defense is the interceding Son of God who sits at the right hand of God the Father this very minute making intercession for us and praying for us, I imagine, with groanings too deep for words. And when we don't even know how to pray ourselves, He is making intercession for us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear Father, the promise of ultimate victory Hold so much hope and timely encouragement for your people. And, and even as Satan was crushed, dethroned and defeated and demoralized by Calvary's cross, so we will live to see the day when Jesus' triumph is played out under our very feet. Hallelujah for this assurance. Lord, in the, in the present kingdom reign of Jesus, things are not always as they appear. At times it feels like we're the ones being walked on by a gloating devil and yet it's he who's actually getting ready to experience ultimate defeat. But he switched the price tags on us. We especially pray for your persecuted church, Lord Jesus, and for those who are laboring in the arena of overt spiritual warfare. Today I think of many of our churches across Europe that are trying to reach out to Syrian refugees and, and people who are just lost and lonely. I, I'm sure the devil is having a field day in that particular part of the world these days. 
Lord, encourage our friends who are really fighting the good fight against all forms of human slavery and trafficking. Refresh those who are planting churches in the hard soil uh, of places of graceless secularization and uh, demonic strongholds and, and Pharisaic moralism. Lord, we, we also pray for the overt and covert attack of, of Satan on so many marriages in our land and, and, and even marriages in our own church. We pray against the tactics and schemes of the devil in that regard. We know that Satan just hates the story of your passionate love for such an ill-deserving bride as us. And we thank you that you love us unconditionally. Jesus, here is why our hope is so great. The reason you came into the world was to destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Indeed, you've come to destroy the devil and his works, and we are very glad. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God of peace, grant us your peace. Grant us the peace that passes all human understanding, the the kind of peace that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, especially when the battle rages most fiercely and the schemes of Satan seem to be winning the day. Triumphant Lord Jesus, and we boldly ask this morning, not just for surviving grace, but for thriving grace, until the day you return to take up your church. And we pray all of these things in the most excellent, the most worthy, the most holy name of Jesus. Amen.